Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Uh, lots to get to today. Happy June 15th. It's a Tuesday. Plenty going on in Gamecock land. Appreciate all of you guys listening. Uh, a lot of topics to kind of kick around. Uh, and then we have some questions in the I Help Consulting mailbag that we'll get to here in a little bit. Um, I'm going to start off, uh, you know, CBS Sports. Uh, and, and look, these guys, I know them. I like them. I respect them. Uh, it's not a shot at them. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing because I, I think sometimes when a program is trying to rise, you know, if you have outsized expectations, there's pressure uh, to achieve those maybe a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, and we've seen it happen uh, in the SEC East. I, I think the last few years, you know, you've had – uh, outside of Georgia and Florida, you've had some off-season darlings. Tennessee was last year, the year before that. You know, Kelly Bryant allegedly was going to lead Missouri as a sleeper. Uh, both those coaches got fired, by the way, after that season. Uh, the Gamecocks in 2018 uh, were considered – I think they were picked number two in the division coming off a nine-win year. Finished seven and six. Honestly, that team – had they not had the injuries on defense and, you know, it had Jake Bentley – uh, and the receivers kind of been on more of the same page in the bro game at Kentucky. I think South Carolina could have had a big year that year. That offense was really, really good uh, for the most part, as, as inconsistent uh, as it was. If it had been a little more consistent, I think, you know, that, that could have been a second-place finish. Obviously, Georgia completely outclassed the Gamecocks. And, you know, even before the injuries on defense, they had defensive issues. That wasn't going to be a, a stellar D. But – you know, it, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, if you look at it, the uh, the offseason darlings in the East the last few years, you know, you, you, they never really pan out. So, so, so all that said about you know expectations and all that, uh, CBS Sports ranked the sixty-five Power Five head coaches, and Beamer was sixty-fifth, <laughs> and. Uh, Again, and you know, then they mentioned he'd never been a coordinator. Now they mentioned it in the article in the scope of, well, these are all new coaches. We don't have anything to differentiate, so he's never been a coordinator. So let's put that there. But I don't think there's any plan. I mean, how many of you uh, looked at what Arizona did hiring Jed Fish in the off season? And uh, you know, man, you, you wish you'd had that guy, at Carolina. Raise your hand. I can't see you, but raise your hand. <laughs> nobody. Uh, you know, I wish we had him over Beamer. Nah, nobody. I mean, you know, so I, I don't know. You know, I think things like that are unfortunate when they mention the coordinator thing. I continue to think it's it's a worthless uh, deal in terms of, you know, how good or not good you're going to be. Um, you know, if core, being a coordinator, a great coordinator mattered a whole lot, then – you know, they have Steve Sarkeesian, 46th. Uh, Sarkeesian's been the best play caller in college football for several years. Uh, and you, you probably sit there and say, well, well, Alabama's got overwhelming talent. But, 
you know, you, you look, I mean, you watch the national championship game last year and you can almost see the genius of some things he calls uh, to put those guys, those very talented guys in the right position to be dominant. So, um, you know, I reject that. Steve Sarkeesian has become a premier play caller. Well, he got the Texas job as a head coach and he's 46th. Um, I guess that's based on what he did at the University of Washington and University of Southern California. But, you know, uh, so, so so if that matters, you know, and, and you're going to dock him that much, you know, how, how the hell is Shane Beamer 65th because he's never been a coordinator? I, I, I reject that. I, I just uh, – look, I, I just think that, you know, number one, he's been a coordinator. He's been a recruiting coordinator, special teams coordinator. Uh, those guys that do those jobs, uh, they touch the entire roster. You know, because that's about personnel and player acquisition, um, you know, and that's about getting guys from offense and defense together to play on different units. And, you know, so you, you get to sort of deal with the entire team. And that's what a head coach does is deal with the entire team. Now, I'm not I'm not saying there won't be some growing pains with Shane Beamer. I'm not saying that these guys are going to go out, coach everybody this year and shock the nation. Um, I know that patience is something that a lot of people do not have, but, you know, I, I just don't see continuing to trash the guy because he's never been a coordinator. And then they mentioned he has the famous name. Uh, and let me just say this too. Shane Beamer is not the head coach at the University of South Carolina. Uh, you know, it didn't build the resume he did because of his name. You know, he went out and worked. He never He worked for his dad toward the end of his dad's career at Virginia Tech. And other than that, you know, he could have been like some coaches uh, whose dads are there, uh, like Jay Paterno and Steve Spurrier Jr., and I'm not knocking Jr. Uh, you know, most of Jr.'s career has been with either a Stoops or a Spurrier or a member of the Stoops coaching tree, uh, which uh, Mike Leach would be in that right now or would be that guy right now. Uh, Leach has his own coaching tree, but, you know, th there was a relationship there from – when Junior went to Oklahoma uh, with Stoops and Mike Leach was the coordinator his first year. So, you know, Jay Paterno is another example of this. You know, that guy, has anybody wanted to hire Jay Paterno? Uh, you know, even without the controversy and uh, the way he exited? No, I, nobody was knocking down the door to hire Jay Paterno. Um, you know, the Bowdens, uh, to their credit, Tommy and Terry, they went off. They didn't They didn't necessarily coach at Florida State. The ones that got the jobs, Jeff did, but he never got a job. Uh, you know, so, so Beamer has followed sort of that path uh, in terms of going and, and being on his own. He's worked for a lot of good coaches. Um, and, and, you know, look, look, if you want to rank him 65th in the Power Five, fine. I think he's going to prove that wrong. Uh, I, I look at some of the coaches that have been ranked, higher and you know I, I i just i don't agree my man dave dorn is higher you know and dave dorn's wasted more talent at nc state than just about anybody although i will say the last couple of years you know squeaking out those winning seasons and whatnot you know it looks like nc state's kind of above the mendoza line but you know they're a perennial perennial seven and 16 in north carolina state you know so I don't know. You know, I, I just, I just disagree with it. You know, I, I don't think he should be dead last. I think it's BS. You know, I, I just think that, you know, and I understand because as someone that's ranked before 
when it, everything's kind of even, you split hairs. But I mean, I, I just don't know that you know being a offensive or defensive play caller has any kind of bearing on being a head coach. You know, being a head coach is about hiring a good staff and also uh, recruiting and personnel and running your program and setting a standard, installing culture and setting your players up for success. Uh, you know, and, and I know there's no tangible evidence of that with Shane, but, you know, Jed Fish <laughs> being ranked ahead of him as far as coaches go, I thought it was a joke, you know. I mean, I, and I wouldn't even talk about this if, if he were 60th or 61st or 62nd. Um, but anyway, go read the article. I, I just uh, – uh, I think people are kind of beating up, beating the drum about the no coordinator thing and continuing to do that, and I just think it's wrong. You you want to say he has no head coaching experience and, you know, was a guy that was off the radar for a lot of these openings, and it's not like he got in the mix for every job. That's because that's South Carolina's the job he really wanted. Um, That's fine. That's fine. You know, and you can believe – uh, or not believe, uh, it's up to you, uh, whether or not Virginia Tech would have come after him as the head coach had they gotten rid of Fuente. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I don't think he would have taken Virginia Tech over South Carolina. It's his alma mater and he loves it. But if you're a Beamer and you take over Virginia Tech, you know, there's a long history of standard you have to live up to, and it's probably never going to be good enough to follow in your dad's footsteps. Again, the Bowden said this. You know, Tommy and Terry said that about Florida State and, and whatever. For the life of me, I don't know why Tommy Bowden didn't take Alabama whenever he was at Clemson, but, you know, that was kind of smart too. You know, the, the Bowdens tend to take the path of least resistance, except Terry, who coached at Auburn. But, you know, Bobby turned down the Alabama and Auburn job when he was at Florida State, and then Tommy turned down Alabama when he was at Clemson and, and Florida State institutionally turn down the SEC to go to the ACC. So there's a kind of a track record there of, hey, here's what you do in that situation. But, um, I, you know, so I, I don't know. I just read that and I was, I was like, well, where do they have Beamer ranked? I didn't expect him to be ranked that high, but last, you know, geez, last in the Power Five. Raise your hand if you think Shane Beamer is the worst Power Five head coach. I don't think so. I think there are far worse – uh, even though he hadn't coached a game. I mean, I, and there's a lot of coaches out there that I'm like, ah, I don't know about this guy, you know. Um, but, you know, it may just be that, you know, we, we may be sitting here next year if, if they scratch out a bowl season or a winning season and Shane Beamer goes from 65th to like 28th. Uh, so, you know, it, it kind of matters what you do on the field. But I, I just don't agree with putting the guy last. And, you know, and then the the mentioning the the name, you know, intentional or not, was a little bit of a cheap shot and and then mentioning the fact that he's never been a coordinator on offense or defense is irrelevant because he has been a coordinator and, and you use that blanket term coordinator and you forget there's other coordinators, you know, been an associate head coach, assistant head coach, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with, with coach Beamer uh, and the Gamecocks this year, winning or losing. And if he can go up in those rankings. So, uh, you know, I know that expectations for winning, you know, that they understand in the building that this is going to be a year where, you know, they're short in some areas. I don't think anybody's predicting championships, but, you know, from what I was told, despite the flaws, they, then they can, this team can win uh, its share of games this year. 
And like I said, I think getting to a bowl after six and 16, eight and 19, you know, 19 of 27 losses for this program, I think getting back to a bowl would be tremendous. Uh, and as I've said many times, the Missouri, Kentucky, and Tennessee games, you know, those are games the Gamecocks need to start winning. Now, two of the three are on the road, and the home game's Kentucky, which uh, I think <laughs> causes some anxiety for Gamecock fans when, when they see the blue. But, you know, keep in mind, Gamecocks won the last time Kentucky came to williams Price, uh, and that should be interesting. And South Carolina has a history of winning at Missouri, but – at Tennessee, uh, it's been a house of horrors. Uh, but Tennessee got gutted, and they have a new coach too. So we'll we'll see kind of how all it shakes it all shakes out. But I'm just you know I, I don't know you know and you look at this staff too, and Tony Morrell has a good piece up insider piece. I won't give you all the details, but about in general how you know the leadership of the program has trickled down. Everybody's kind of rowing in the same direction. And that he's put together a staff that loves to recruit. And if you look at it, you know, he's right. Normally, you know, when, when you put a staff together and you're talking about recruiting, and, and Will Muschamp, I thought, put together a staff on paper that was really good, you know, in terms of recruiting. You know, Lance Thompson, Brian McClendon, you know, those guys can recruit. Will Muschamp himself can recruit really, really well. Um, you know, Thomas Brown came through and signed a five-star running back in one year. Bobby Bentley was a good recruiter. Uh, they all, you know, could individually recruit. Travars Robinson had a big rep coming in, and they got their share of corners. But, um, you know, there were obviously some weak links when you, when you broke it down uh, as far as guys that, you know, did not sign – or, or perform recruiting-wise in an area like you would ex- have expected. You know, specifically, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. T. Robin, South Florida. Now, he's at Miami now, so he's obviously recruiting South Florida. But, uh, you know, South Carolina really didn't do much down there. Wolf went down and got a couple of uh, offensive linemen. They got Rosendo Lewis. Uh, McClendon never went down to recruit receivers, which was a mistake. Um, they got Jamar Brown out of St. Thomas. But, I, you know – I sort of thought, hey, you know, and it's not like they even got a lot of guys to visit from South Florida. Uh, but you look at it, and um, the staff, it, it's not a staff with a ton of SEC experience, and, and I think that's probably a good thing um, because I think, you know, coming back in, it, it's, it's, you know, it's over, SEC experience is a little overblown, and I think a lot of these guys that are at these other places that, have the brand, you know, when you talk about recruiting and things like that, it, it's a little bit easier to sell and, and, and to do that. You got to really sell if, if you're Carolina. And I think if you look at it, a lot of these guys have, um, you know, it, uh, you know, Clayton White, first time in the SEC, first time coordinator on the Power Five level. Marcus Satterfield is the same. Uh, Eric Kimry is his first college assistant coaching job. He was a GA for one year, but he's coming from the high school ranks. Greg Atkins, who came from Marshalls, back in the Power Five and back in the SEC after a period away from when he was at Tennessee. Uh, Atkins, Step, Justin Step, Mike Peterson, Torrey and Gray, are the, and Shane Beamer are the coaches that have had SEC experience. So it's light on SEC experience. Monteria Hardesty, 
first Power Five and SEC gig. Justin Stepp, who came from Arkansas, is back home in his in, at home. He's from the Midlands. Jimmy Lindsay, it's his first job in the SEC and second year in Power Five. Mike Peterson's the lone holdover from the previous staff. Torian Gray was scapegoated at Florida last year. Uh, and Pete Limbo is his first SEC gig. So, so these guys have come in with a lot to prove. And, you know, like I said, a lot of times, you know, you look at a staff of 10 and you're like, well, that guy's not the strongest recruiter, but he's a good coach. You know, someone else helps him with recruiting. That's not the case. All these guys are aggressive. Uh, they're well-liked. Parents like them. They trust them. Uh, I, I think the secret sauce is, and again, they're not going to get everybody. I mean, it's just unrealistic. You're going to lose some recruiting battles. But but I think that ultimately a lot of these players are shown a lot of shiny things and given a lot of data and information uh, at different places, and, and they, they all have a different pitch. But I think ultimately, you know, sometimes players want something that's kind of that's real uh, and, and they show that, you know, this staff shows that that was told to me by a contact, you know, ultimately they try to show, Hey, it's real. They also do a good job. I think of selling Columbia as a positive, uh, probably more so than the, the previous staff did. And then of course the facility, uh, has really done well in terms of, Hey, I didn't know South Carolina had all this. Cause you know, you're, you're showing shiny things at other places and then you come to South Carolina and it's substandard. It, it, you know, that affects your comfort level. Even if you have the best relationship with the South Carolina staff, it affects your comfort level, but you got a nice new facility like everybody else. It's better than most. Um, not all, but most, uh, you get really, you know, and then you got a better relationship with these guys your comfort level goes up. And you can overcome, you know, the not winning thing. Now, look, South Carolina right now, best case scenario is things stand. Things would have to break their way with a lot of these guys. And, you know, if the in-state players that are unranked right now that they end up getting end up being evaluated at least fairly, uh, you know, and I don't know what everybody's going to think when they look at them and evaluate the film and all that. I know what I think, but I'm not out there comparing them to everybody else. Uh, this could be a top 15 class at the end of the day. Now I've, I've sort of thought it'll probably end up somewhere between 20 and 25, you know, just eyeballing it. Uh, but, but I think if things break their way and, and I've got on the class calculator on 24 seven sports today, that's a free deal too if you go to the class calculator on our website uh what it does is it projects your team ranking score uh and you you sit there and type in projected commits and it calculates it for you spits out a number then you go look at the rankings and say well what range will the Gamecocks be in and you you can do that for every school uh so I check that out it's free it's you don't have to be a VIP member to use it and so uh I was messing around with that, and I was like, well, you know, if this happens and this happens and this happens, you know, this is the score, and that's the range when you compare it to last cycle. And, you know, it could be it could be a top 15 class. Now, I'm not predicting that. Uh, I'm just saying, I mean, things would have to break their way to go. But, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, like I said, there's a chance. And, and after a long time of – a lot of people not feeling like there's a chance on game day and in recruiting. And 
you know, and, and Will Muschamp, like I said, won his share of recruiting battles. He's, he's a great recruiter. Uh, don't get me wrong, but, you know, you, you still sort of felt like relief, I guess, when Muschamp would get a guy uh, as opposed to, you know, celebration. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I can't explain that. I felt it. I know some of you guys did too. It was probably because of, you know, what happened on the field and, and sort of all that, you know, and I'm not piling on the Will Muschamp. I, I, I look back and I, you know, I think, well, he obviously made some critical errors and mistakes, but you know, the, it's not, you know, I, I don't think Shane Beamer's taking over a desolate situation right now. And I think you'll see in the coming years, a lot of Muschamp's recruits end up being really good players for the Gamecocks, you know, some of them for a, a long time. So I just, uh, you know, look at it and that's, that's kind of my, uh, my feeling on that. Um, you know, as far as the staff goes. And uh, I think in college football, you know, your, your staff has to be able to recruit, you know, and, and it's helpful when 10 of them can't <laughs> like the Gamecocks have. Uh, usually six or seven, you know, is the ideal number. Um, you know, and, and look, they also have to develop players. They also have to scheme in-game coaching. That's all important. And uh, there hasn't been enough time at South Carolina to see, you know, whether or not these guys will do that at Carolina. I mean, you, you have some guys like Step and Gray and Atkins and Lindsay. I mean, they, they've, they've coached enough to where you, they have a track record of developing. Um, but, you know, it had to happen to South Carolina yet. You know, a lot of guys have come to South Carolina with, with track records and it hadn't worked. So, like I said, I'm not, I'm not predicting success on the field or anything like that. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to be better than people think this year just because I don't think a lot of folks are sitting there thinking about the fact that you have Marshawn Lloyd that didn't play last season. By the way, Bruce Feldman named he and Jake Bentley – uh, two of the top 35 breakout players. Jake's at South Alabama now for a final year. Uh, apparently, he's been doing well down there. Congratulations to him. Uh, and then they mentioned Lloyd as far as a, you know, a guy that the staff really likes his toughness and speed and elusiveness and all that. You know, people forget that he redshirted last year. Uh, people forget that, you know, South Carolina has a really good defensive line talent-wise coming back led by J.J. and Igbari. Uh, you know, obviously there's some holes, but there's enough pieces in place, I think, to be better than three and a half wins. But like I said, I'm not making any predictions. Maybe not. Maybe it is a bigger rebuild than I'm letting on. Uh, maybe injuries take a toll again this year. That would be rotten luck. But, um, you know, that's the other thing. South Carolina has to be healthy. Uh, this season to have any kind of success. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I do think so far so good with the coaching staff. I do think Beamer is not the 65th rated power five head coach. And I think he'll prove that uh, over time. Uh, some recruiting notes. Uh, and uh, I've got a mailbag question. The wide receiver board has had some activity lately. Uh, but I've got a mailbag question asking about that. So when I get to the iHelp Consulting mailbag, I will address that. But you know, here's an example. It's a tangible example of, hey, uh, there's the, the the recruiting momentum we talk about is not just 
guys with pent-up demand going to a campus, seeing shiny things, getting their butt kissed, and they love every visit, and Carolina's really not getting any of these guys. Uh, this is this is kind of an example of, you know, hey, this is this is real, you know. And, and again, so much goes into a decision. I don't I don't know if you know if they'll get commitments from from a lot of these guys. Everybody wants or not. Uh, I do know that with the portal, like I've said many times, it, it's smart to always build a good relationship because you never know somebody may be I'm Audi five thousand from the place they sign and. They remember how you know comfortable they were at your place. Um, so, so Jeremiah Trotter, we all remember him, the linebacker from the Philadelphia Eagles, really great player. So his son, 2021 linebacker Jeremiah Trotter Jr., signed with Clemson, and he's going to be in Tiger Town uh, this year. And uh, I think he's a good one, really good player. Not surprised he's out of there, out of Philadelphia, uh, where Trotter played. And so I don't, I don't know whether they were dropping junior off at school or going to visit him. So Josiah Trotter is a class of 2023 linebacker. Again, a really good player, four-star 2023 player. Um, you know, top 200 guy, watch his film. He's good. He's like his brother, you know, like his dad, uh, aggressive linebacker. And, and so he's visiting schools because – 2023 is kind of starting now and they're getting out. So he goes to Clemson and and visits, has a great visit, you know, it's home and, you know, with, with his brother and all that good stuff, they want him. So they come by South Carolina uh, and that was yesterday. And he has a tremendous visit with the Gamecocks. And shortly thereafter, he cuts it to a top four and it's Clemson, Penn state, Ohio state, and ding, 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 the Gamecocks. How about that? So that's a tangible thing. I also think Stone Blanton and his visit. It's funny we're talking about two linebackers here. He's 2022. Uh, he's a baseball football guy from Mississippi. He's committed to Mississippi State for baseball. Um, you know, they brought him in for the official. I get a call yesterday and said, look, this guy, uh, there's talk now he may leave the state. You know, Texas A&M is involved with him as well. Uh, but he had an absolutely fantastic visit. Uh, and, and the Gamecocks are right there in the thick of things. And, and look, Beamer did a great job with him. Clayton White did a great job with him. He's a stud linebacker uh, that probably will end up being ranked somewhere in the top 100 to 150 from what I'm told. He's, he's going up. Uh, just a stud. Uh, and a good baseball player, and Beamer worked it hard. And Mark Kingston, I know all of you are mad at – some of you are mad at Mark Kingston right now, but to his credit, you know, Stone was really impressed with, with Kingston and the baseball program. You know, so, so there's another one that, you know, pretty much you could have penciled him in going to Starkville. Uh, and now, you know, he, he's more open. And uh, he may let me you know, and, and, and you got South Carolina sitting there, and Texas A&M is going to be there, so – you know, that's a, that's going to be a battle. And, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, over the years you have players that come in for visits and, you know, can South Carolina get in it and they never get what's called traction. You know, you don't, they don't talk about a return visit and can't wait to get back and all that, you know, and then South Carolina's in it, but you know, if they're top four, they're probably fourth. Uh, but what's happening here is guys are visiting and, 
the Gamecocks are inserting themselves into the battle. Uh, and for a program that struggled with relevancy lately, the last few years, I, I think that's tremendous. Uh, and I think as we continue to move forward, uh, as the Gamecocks can get guys to visit, I think that increases their chances because, you know, the visits obviously unofficially and officially are, are, are impressing some people. And, and you know, you got to talk about too. I, I talked about the, the coaching staff, but you know, Luke Day, the strength coach, is a charismatic guy that resonates with young people. Derek Moore, uh, I was told, uh, somebody speculated he's probably worth two or three commits a year by himself. Uh, yeah, that guy will fire you up. Uh, and then you have guys like Shaq Wilson and Connor Shaw and Pat DeMarco, all who played during the glory years who are on there as analysts. And those guys are really helping too. And I'd be remiss not to mention Jessica Jackson, who's the on-campus recruiting coordinator, who has done an amazing job, you know, making sure things go smooth, making sure it's nice and classy. You know, th- th- she handles things like the catering and all that, uh, the venues for the dinners and, and lunch. I mean, yeah, just making sure that, you know, parents and, and players have a good time and, and that their needs are attended to on official visits and really unofficial visits too. Uh, and Jessica's really good with the parents. So, you know, those guys are making it happen as well. And, and, you know, these days we all talk about support staff and analysts and stuff. And I think that, you know, sometimes when you talk about Alabama and some of these bigger staffs, people are like, well, you know, it's just, it's going to help. Oh my God, Butch Jones is an analyst now and he's going to, you know, bring all this knowledge to the own field performance for the tide or whatever. You know, a lot of these guys, they help with recruiting. And in South Carolina's case, uh, you got three guys that have lived it, um, you know, who were significant players while they've lived it. DeMarco, Shaq Wilson, Connor Shaw, the significant players. Connor Shaw is the best quarterback in school history. So, you know, you, you kind of look at it and the Gamecocks um, – uh, you know, it, it's a different feeling, you know. And, and, again, people say, well, you know, when Muschamp came in, it was a different feeling too, blah, blah, blah. Well, first and foremost, Will Muschamp's not the head coach of South Carolina anymore. He's gone. Get over it. <laughs> Get over it. You know, just because something was said back then when he first got to South Carolina. Uh, and, and let me explain this to you too. Okay, let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Uh you know, the bottom line is that Will Muschamp took over a three-win team. He won six, he won nine, he won seven with injuries, overperformed, overachieved his first three years. And I do understand, for those of you that are yelling at the speaker, that in 2017 they didn't really play a murderer's row. A lot of those teams they beat in 2017, their coaches got fired. I, I get it. But, you know, the program won three games. It was dead on arrival. You know, when he got there, he scratched out two bowls, went to a third. Uh, and then we know the beginning of the end happened in, in 2018 when they blew the lead at Florida. That happened, okay? Can't do anything about that. But, you know, when you go back to 2015, 2016, you know, the culture did change the players that he inherited and the ones quite frankly, that he and his staff added over the summer that year. And and during recruiting guys like Jake Mintley and Brian Edwards, 
Rico Dowdle, you know, all those guys had a lot to do with that, that team that was not ideal overperforming, uh, you know, and he did overperform. So, so whatever Will Muschamp did at the beginning worked. And so if you hear the same thing now, logic does dic- dictate that at least at the beginning, you know, uh, it should work. You know, the idea is going to be year three and four. What's going on then? You know, what, what, what are the results? Where's the program at? That type of thing. And that's a different kind of deal. You know, and, and there's nothing that anyone can do to predict what's happening three or four years down the road. I mean, Muschamp was almost shocking because it, despite the, the consistent complaining, which has more to do with Clemson being great than anything, you know, he, he did have it on the right track and the bottom fell out. And you can go back and trace some of the mistakes that he made that sounded good on paper at the time. You know, so so that that's that's the take on that. So that, first and foremost, you know, if you can't shut Will Muschamp's era out of your brain, you know, and you have uh, some flashbacks on it, uh, you know, and, and you want to compare all the time, you know, think about the fact that he – doubled the win total and then tripled it because you, you know, Shane Beamer does that, you know, I, now doubling the win total this year would be four and eight, but you know, like I've said many times, a normal schedule last year, that team, heck that team may have gotten to a bowl, but you know, a team's probably five and seven at the end of the day, uh, depending on what happened against coastal, because I think it, it, they played the regular schedule and coastal had an upset South Carolina in the first game then the Mike Bobo era would have been 11 games long. Because <laughs> uh, I, I think Muschamp would have been fired immediately had that happened. You know, you just don't lose to Coastal if you're South Carolina uh, in any sport, in any sport. Unless you're Eddie Fogler in 96-97 who got beat by Coastal by 14 points and then that team went 15-1 to in the SEC. Basketball is different, though. Basketball, you can rebound from a bad upset. Football, the opener, <laughs> losing to the – third FBS school in the state. No, you, you don't do that. What used to be a branch campus. Now you don't do that. Uh, and there's a lot of movers and shakers that don't really like coastal. So that, that would have been bad to quote Egon in Ghostbusters. That would be bad. But anyway, so, so, you know, I, when you, when you think about this year, you know, if you, if you think, well, that team was probably somewhere between three and five wins with a normal schedule last year, you know, you double the three, you get back to six. I think that's fine. You know, I think, like, again, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Vandy, East Carolina, those are important games uh, for South Carolina this season. But, you know, so 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 there's that. You know, people can't get over Muschamp. They're still upset. Uh, a lot of them hate Ray Tanner. I mean, it's kind of the same old people on the Big Spur and then out in social media land. Uh, but – you know, I, I don't I don't blame people for having a little PTSD for that era because, you know, before that era, it was you know, a pretty good period of South Carolina football. Uh, so I get it. But Muschamp's not there anymore. And, and, you know, if you look at the details, you know, there's a big difference between just bloviating football jargon and talking points and saying culture change and, and this and that and the other and new era and all oh, this night and day different, blah, 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 and being general and also being specific. 
And I could be specific about what Muschamp's culture change was about, and that was about the guys had to go to work and work hard because that wasn't happening in the latter Spurrier years. You had guys kind of taking it easy. The defensive line alone, uh, that last year under Spurrier, I went to spring practice. It was some of the worst defensive line practices I've seen, even like a high school level, you know, had more when, when Whammy and Deke were coaching the offensive line, defensive line. And there were some guys that were players. I mean, Taylor Stallworth was on there, Dave, Dante Sawyer, and they just didn't develop. You know, so that's what must that was the culture change there. Let's get to work. Uh, you know, effort, toughness, discipline, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I think they needed it at the time. And I think that's kind of how some of those freshmen ended up outperforming. Uh, so those were the details there. The details here with Beamer are completely different. Now there's they're working hard. But Luke Day is a lot different than Jeff Tillman. You know, they're working differently. Um, and and the, the emphasis is different. You know, and, and I, I'm not saying that you can't go and emphasize hard work in a football program and, and you're always going to fail. That's not true. I mean, that, that's just not true. Muschamp ultimately did fail. But I, I think that sometimes it's about what the immediate needs are. You know, and, and, and I think that Shane Beamer, when you look at the details as far as what's happening now, you know, you hear the term family atmosphere thrown around. It is definitely that. Uh, and again, you know, if you remember from what I said back when Beamer first got the job, first order of business, locker room has to heal. I was told that by multiple coaches on the previous staff. Uh, whoever gets this job, the locker room has to heal. And that means coming together. That means a positive, new positive energy, that type of thing. I mean, and so the details in terms of culture change or whatever you want to call it are, are different, are, are different. And, um, you know, I think maybe when Spurrier left, players there needed a kick in the butt and needed to work hard and, you know, get after it a little more. Same thing, you know, when Lou Holtz took over for Brad Scott, you know, there was kind of a laid back atmosphere and then, Boom, here's Lou, and, you know, people are throwing up at uh, winter workouts or whatever. So, you know, I, and I think that's fine. But but I, if you look at what's actually happening beyond the buzzwords, uh, and it's easy. You know, I hate buzzwords. I, you know, it's easy to sit here and use terms like game changer and use terms like culture change and use terms like, you know, all these jargon, all this jargon. Uh, the devil is in the details or the, 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 the angels are in the details or however you want to put it. And the details are, it's completely different, you know? So you actually did not hear the same thing about Muschamp if you were willing to go beyond some of these buzzwords. Uh, and, and so that's the deal there. And, and I've talked about the staff and, and all that. So, so that, that's the deal. there. Muschamp's not there anymore. You know, stop worrying about oh this this happened before or whatever. Just uh, you know, give the new guys a chance because it's not going to do you any good or the program any good. The program you all love, whether you're you know one of these negative people that complains all the time, or whether you're super positive and hate the negative people, or, and, or whether you're just kind of in the middle, uh, whether you're realistic and and all that or down in the dumps think Carolina will never be able to win unless Steve Spurrier uh, was still the coach, you know, that that was the one shot 
or if you think brighter days are ahead, it doesn't matter. You know, all these, all of you that have this different Gamecock worldview, it's fine. I celebrate that. Uh, this is the United States of America. I'm a proud American and I celebrate diversity of opinions. I'm not saying you're wrong or right. Well, no matter, no matter what end you're coming from, you still love the school and the program. Uh, and it does nobody any good, you know, to sit there and continuously rehash the Muschamp era and feel like, you know, just because the buzzwords are out there and just because Ray Tanner hired Shane Beamer and Will Muschamp, that somehow this is a bad hire before he even gets started. And again, I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm not predicting anything. I'm not going to make any predictions. I'm just going to let it play out. But uh, so that, that that's the deal with that, you know, not getting preachy or anything. And, and, and certainly I don't think that the, the majority of the fan base is super negative. There's just, you know, there's just some folks out there that, like I said, they're, they, they, they're skeptical, you know. Um, and I think if, if you're skeptical just because you're, you're skeptical of a new head coach, that's fine. Uh, skeptical of South Carolina being a program that can win big, that's fine. You're skeptical because of the coordinator thing. To me, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. You want to think that, think that. But I I think, you know, like I said in the previous episode, it's a late – Shane Beamer called it a lazy narrative. I think it's a lazy narrative. Uh, And then I think that, you know, mentioning his last name as if, you know, that's why he got the job – you know, or the only reason he is where he's at, I think I think that's horse manure, to be honest. Um, okay, so got a new crystal ball in Nick Imorari, the uh safety from Irmo, 6'3, 208. Crystal ball in South Carolina, flying the ointment school there, maybe North Carolina, uh, if he goes and gets an offer from the Tar Heels. But you know, that's a battle South Carolina has to win. If, if North Carolina comes in on him. Um, so I predicted him on the crystal ball there lately. Also, Demetrius Watson, the defensive tackle from Fort Dorchester, crystal balled him to South Carolina uh, as well. I'll probably have details on those picks later uh, coming up. So, you know, the, the official visit weekend's over. We got uh, interesting visit this weekend scheduled to Quan Fagan's. Uh, South Carolina had Antonio Kite from Anniston, Alabama, on campus last weekend. This is a kid that's plays at a school that's 10 miles from Anniston at Oxford at Taquan Fagans. You know, very smart, I think, to recruit Alabama. Uh, Alabama has 200 – the last census, South, Alabama has 200,000 less people than the state of South Carolina, uh, and they put triple the amount of players uh, on the on the FBS level out of that state, which is interesting. Now, part of it has to do with the fact you have, what, shoot, five FBS programs in the state. You have Alabama, Auburn, but you also have Troy, South Alabama, and UAB. Um, So so naturally, you're going to have more FBS players if you have more FBS programs. South Carolina has three, you know, Coastal and South Carolina and Clemson. Coastal and Clemson kind of go out of state a whole lot, though. Uh, but the point is, you know, and then Alabama, Alabama goes out of state and, and Auburn, 
you know, has always had and always will have an emphasis on Georgia and Florida, especially Georgia. So I think in the state of Alabama, when Alabama, the Crimson Tide passes on a guy, you, you know, you could probably get some good football players, you know, because they're just out there getting the best of the best. Um, so Antonio Kite visited, four-star guy. Uh, Taquan Fagans comes in this weekend. He's another four-star guy. You know, South Carolina's in the hunt, in the thick of things. And, boy, if you, you could pull two four-star DBs out of the state of Alabama, I think that's uh, that's tremendous when you're talking about Tory and Gray. Uh, so that's the official visitor on the docket for this weekend. There may be another one or, or two pop up, and, of course, some unofficial visits uh, coming up as well. You know, so we'll see sort of <laughs> how everything goes. Uh, you remember I told you yesterday, South Carolina's at the 37th in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. Um, like I said, I uh, I think a lot of people, because I I tend to believe that, you know, people don't really understand team recruiting rankings. Uh, they sort of look at it like they do the AP poll or something. Um, and I tell people all the time, you know, look, when you look at the AP poll or the BCS poll when it was there or the playoff rankings in college football, big difference between number five and number 15. Big difference. It's like a building. If you're looking at stories, you know, on a building and space between floors, uh, there's a lot of space between those floors when you're talking about ranking teams. Now, when you're talking about ranking recruiting classes, it's 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 a it would be floors for ants. I have a quote Zoolander. What is this? A school for ants? Um, four for ants. You know, not that much space between the, the classes. Very very bunched together. Um, you know, so people will freak out if Tennessee's number eleven and South Carolina's number fifteen and think they're out recruiting you. No, they're not. That's to be determined. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. You know, maybe Florida had a better class. Maybe they don't. I mean, you, you got to really judge it ultimately at the end. Who had the better class? How many players here were good? How many contributed? That kind of thing. Um, but I also think in the team recruiting rankings, the higher the better. Is you can use that as a talking point to continue. Hey, we signed a top 15 recruiting class. Uh, future's bright. I mean, you know, you're always selling hope and things like that. So Gamecocks are up to 37. They're going to – if they get Weiss this weekend and assuming there's no other commitments, deed commitments, uh, other schools kind of hold serve, Gamecocks will go into the top 30. Uh, and, and Weiss, if, if he commits, and like I said, nobody else does, that'll be the sixth commit. A lot of other schools are up there, you know. So well, when you're looking at the class calculator, like I said earlier – playing around with it. a lot of things break their way and these guys get evaluated right the right way in state. It could be top 15. Um, and that's the first time I've said that because I didn't really, you know, I was kind of thinking more 21, 25 and it could end up that way. It'd still be a good class. But I think now when you, when you kind of look at the big picture, uh, there is a shot at, you know, really being, you know, highly ranked when all is said and done. Unfortunately, if you're the Gamecocks, you know, it, it, it. recruiting happens in a vacuum, but it doesn't because fundamentally recruiting is just about like, do you have players to go compete on Saturdays? You know, that, that's fundamentally what it's about. Do you have the players to go win games? Uh, period. 
you know, that's why, and I'm not going to get off on this tangent. That's why I think the Frank Martin can't recruit narrative is overblown because he always has had players to go compete. You know, this past year was bad. You know, we'll see if that's a trend, but you know, nobody's sitting there going, well, South Carolina looks like they don't even belong on the court from a talent standpoint yet because four and five star guys don't always come, you know, they, Oh, well, he can't recruit, but that's a different, different debate for a different day with Frank Martin. Um, you know, so, so, so there, there you go. That, that's fundamentally what it's all about. Do you, can you get players? Uh, and, and you're not going to know if you have players until later on who those players are in the sport of football. So uh, that's the deal there, but it's still, like I said, better to be ranked than not. Uh, and I, I don't want people to think uh, uh, it doesn't matter. I, I think the overreaction to it, uh, the whole rankings thing is, is ridiculous. Uh, I think that, you know, the fact that you have fans that bash a three-star prospect, your, your, your school signs, oh, here we go, another three-star, blah, uh, has a psychological effect on a potentially great player because they're reading it. You know, and, 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 and this kid may be really good, and star rating means nothing. And, and, you know, you put it in his mind, hey, I'm just not as good. You know, the star ratings end, folks. Again, this is like being voted superlatives in high school. Um, everybody starts over when they get to college. Uh, it's, it's a measure of potential, and a lot of highly rated guys pan out, and a lot don't. A lot of three stars pan out, a lot don't. You know, you got to kind of look beyond that. Uh, and what I like to do is, is I like to tell people when South Carolina gets a recruit, I think part of my job is to tell you why they took them, what's their upside, what's good about them. Because, you know, obviously if you get a scholarship, you know, what's the redeeming quality? What made them decide to go on him and accept their commitment? You know, and, and people interpret that as hyping up. No, it's just telling you why they took it. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, if you're a business owner, like I am, you're always looking to save time and money. Uh, and that's where iHelp Consulting can help you. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Now, look, if you're paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance, anything else that have to do with your business, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. Uh, and remember, if I help, can't save your business any money. You don't pay them anything. It's free. Can't hurt. Go do it. And that's right. If I help, can't help your business. No cost. No cost. So I want you to call or text Daniel Owens, sponsor of the I Help Consulting Mailbag, at 843-372-5713 or help or go to visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number is 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? I mean, I know we got a lot of business owners that listen to this show. Uh, also, you know, if you're a lawyer and you have your own firm and you're looking to cut costs, um, give Daniel a call. I'm, I'm sure he can help you. I'm sure that, uh, you know, you could be saving some money and you'll thank me later. But, uh, you know, and then, like I said, if, if he can't help, then it's no cost to you. All it costs you is your time. Time is valuable, but if you could save money by spending some time, uh, give Daniel a call, 843-372-5713. Also, you can text him at that same number, 843-372-5713. And it is time for the I Help Consulting Mailbag. 
Two ways to get into the iHub Consulting mailbag. You can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please, please, please follow that Twitter account. It's different than the Big Spur 247 Twitter account. Uh, lots of unique content. Also, follow on Instagram inside the Gamecocks. And Rob says, how do you think the defensive backs are going to fare this year? I think as long as we could be all right there, we could pull at least 500 on the schedule. What are your thoughts? Thank you. Great show as always. Well, and, and this is good because I didn't mention this guy earlier, saving it for your question, Rob. Uh, Prunty, the defensive back from Virginia in the transfer portal from Kansas. Uh, Karan Prunty knows Tory and Gray. Uh, they have uh, pretty uh, pretty good um, relationship there, Portsmouth, Virginia. And, um, you know, he visited. There were not high expectations coming in, but there's a lot of good expectations going out. He was a freshman All-American in Kansas. Kansas was terrible, but he didn't give up a touchdown pass. Freshman All-American. I uh, don't know how Virginia Tech passed on him and all that. Um, with Prunty, and look, Ohio State's another school that's in the mix. There's other schools that are in the mix with brand names. But I read on Ohio State website the other day, Ohio State isn't really, like, convinced that that guy's an answer. Uh, and Ohio State also said, you know, they're not looking at anybody in the portal to come in and start because they're set when they started. You know, South Carolina, obviously, Karan Prunty could come in and, and start. Um, and South Carolina's really pushing. So if you get Prunty, you got Cam Smith on the other side, and you got Marcellus Dial, who had a good spring, and, you know, one out of O'Donnell Fortune and Dominic Hill and Joey Hunter and those guys, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think that that's – you know, Prunty would be a big piece of the puzzle, you know, because you have a guy there that's played uh, in a conference that chunks it all over the yard and that lights up the scoreboards like a pinball and to not give up a touchdown and you're playing at Kansas. Good God. That's pretty impressive. Uh, I'm not, you know, he's freshman all American, but I'm not, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's South Carolina. He may, may or may not be great. The secondary may or may not be great. There's a lot of they play five DBs at a time. You got to find those guys. You got to find answers. Uh, and I think Cam Smith will start at one, and then Prunty at the other if he comes in. If not, I think Dial or Fortune or somebody at corner uh, will start opposite Smith. Then you got to figure out the safeties. Um, and, and that's the thing too. I, I think you know during the spring they work guys out. You know th- those of you that continue to think the reason the safeties were not good is because some were converted corners. Um, I'll just, you know, (laughs) DJ Swearinger was one of the best safeties in in history of the program. He was, he came in, staff brought him in as a corner. He played corner as a freshman. Um, You know, I've mentioned Eric Berry before. I I think going from corner to safety is fine. I think where you screw up is, is when you get a guy that's clearly a safety in terms of, uh, you know, speed and things like that. You try to play him at corner. Uh, you know, that's what was so impressive about Antonio Allen. He was a safety at Carolina and went went to the pros and played corner. But um, 
Yeah, I think that's that's where you run into trouble. And, you know, you start thinking about the Chaz elders of the world. You know, that guy, had he been at safety the entire time, things may have been a little different. But, uh, you know, so those of you that think there's going to be no cross-training because that was a T-Rob or Muschamp thing, I mean, that's that's not that's not reality. You know, there's a lot of guys that cross-train. But I do think that heading into the season, what they're going to do is is kind of pin those guys into spots at primary positions. There won't be a lot of shifting around, I think, during the preseason because, you know, you need you need to get four safety, five safeties ready to play, and some nickels ready to play, and some corners. You need depth. And and so I think I think you won't see as much shifting. But one of the big keys for Torian Gray, I think, and Clayton White is going to be to who is going to play where uh, and then rep them. And I think if they can do that, they can be a pretty solid secondary. I'm not expecting miracles, and I understand uh, that it's a question mark. And anytime you lose, you know, two draft picks and a, and two starters out of a secondary, you know, realistically, you know, it's tough to replace right away. You know, with, with you're not going to have proven guys. That said, I'll remind everyone that was the worst secondary South Carolina's had in years. I can't re- – you know, even the 2014 team that gave up all those yards against uh, Texas A&M in the opener and was was not good at stopping people at crunch time, even that team toward the end of the season got a little better on defense, uh, on the back end. Last year it just got worse and worse and worse and that everybody opted out. <laughs> And, you know, the the only bright spot that came out of it was that they threw Cam Smith to the Wolves. And he got a lot of reps and right in front of everybody in the Missouri game, he got a lot better and played pretty good football down the stretch. He's got to get better. You know, he's got to come into his own. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that, you know, the Tennessee game last year where he really struggled is a negative. I think it's a positive that's going to encourage him. You know, Cam Smith, talent-wise – I mean, you know, there's a reason Georgia came in and wanted him in Tennessee and North Carolina in these schools. You know, there's a reason Clemson said they'd have probably offered had they known about him, you know, earlier. By the time they found out about him, he was going to South Carolina, so they just didn't offer. But, you know, that's the key. You know, if Prunty comes, you know, I think that then there's enough because you're you're also adding Carlin Splatel. Danley and Craig to the mix. Um, you know, I, I think, too, with secondary, where is Jamar Brown going to play? You've got issues at linebacker. Can he be a linebacker? Or is he going to be a nickel? You know, Red doesn't like the fact – he doesn't like it when I talk about Jamar Brown playing the nickel. Um, I you know, so, so those are all the questions. See, you know – so that that was a long answer and didn't really answer your question specifically. Um, so I think they have a chance. Yeah, you know, I, I I think that I like their chances better if they get Prunty. But even if you get Prunty, I you know you never know. What if Prunty comes and he gets injured or something? You got to have more. I mean, one guy is going to help you solidify, but it's not going to, you know, one like one ingredient on a cake can make the cake taste better and all that. But then if, if you don't have the other ingredients, it's still going to be a crappy cake. I hope that analogy made sense. I don't know. 
So, uh, you know, that, that's the key there. You know, Tyrese Ross is coming in as a safety from Washington State, or he's come in already. What's he – how's he going to be? You know, he played in 13 games as a freshman. Washington State only played four games last year. Uh, you know, he didn't – I don't think he played many of them. So he's back, but he – you know, you watch him as a freshman with the Cougs, and you know, he's out there, power five level. It's the Pac-12, but uh, – Looks pretty good. So, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But long story short, uh, there's a chance. There, there is a chance. And, and I think that success on the back end, too, can be helped by the linebackers being solidified because that's a question mark right now. And the defensive ends and tackles and the D-line living up to its potential and putting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, I think that goes a long way, you know when you're putting pressure on the quarterback and helps DBs look good. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, to answer it bluntly, there is a chance. There is a chance. All right. The other way to get into the I help consulting inbox is through email. This is another one where I didn't talk about it a whole lot, but uh, you know, uh, earlier when I'm meant to, it comes in from James. He said, I haven't listened to today's recruiting pot, but if you didn't go over wide receiver recruiting, can you? Yeah, and I'm going to go over it because it, things have changed between now and yesterday. So, James, great timing on your question. Uh, he says, how many do you think we will take? I think as many as five, probably four is that number. Williams is the top target, but after that, beyond Horton, Chandler Smith, Jaden Gibson is in the mix. Dane Key from Kentucky is coming in. Jaden McGowan still has a shot to earn an offer. I'm not that confident that they will. Um, you know, then there's some other guys that, you know, Steps evaluating and identified that, you know, could be in, could be in. You know, maybe a guy like Xavier Short comes in as a receiver if – they strike out on some of these other guys. Uh, and then you may, maybe you save two spots for the portal at receiver. If you end up, um, you know, not getting the guys you want. Addison Copeland from New York is a guy that uh, they really liked. Crystal ball was to South Carolina for a while. Now it looks like Pitt. He's going to stay closer to home. Um, and then Pete Kikwata, four-star right now. He's a four-star guy. It's probably going to drop. Uh, he's a guy that visited. They just weren't that fired up about his body type and all that. Uh, so he left. No commitment to Carolina, obviously. Probably going to West Virginia with his teammates. So that's uh, those are two guys you can cross off the list. Any potential movement with Shalik Notch, UNC and Georgia there so far. Uh, I've heard he's been a little more resp responsive, but I, I you know, to, to me, you know, Shalik Knotts is rated very high. But if, if I look at it and I'm honest with myself, and I, I love Shalik Knotts, don't get me wrong. Um, if I'm honest with myself just as a prospect, and, and, and Shalik may end up being better than these two guys, but I'd almost rather have Jaden Gibson and Chandler, C.J. Smith, you know, than Shalik. Just, just to be straight. And I, I sure would rather have Antonio Williams. But it's not like Carolina's not recruiting Shalik. He's been a little more responsive lately. But I just think that's a guy that, you know, 
shoot your shot with him. If he responds, great. Maybe if you start winning, he comes to a game, he gets blown away. But I think that's pretty much a long shot. Uh, and then who is the main competition for Smith and Gibson? I would say Florida uh, for both. And then Miami, Florida, and Florida State for Gibson. Um, there's some confidence with the Gators on Gibson and Smith. Uh, I like their, you know, as things stand today, I, I still like their chances. Florida's with Smith. Gibson, I think his visit to South Carolina sort of, you know, cha- changed him a little bit about his recruitment. I think Carolina's right in the middle of it. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's easier to get players out of Florida and away from the big three than it used to be. Uh, but it's still a challenge, you know, and you're sitting there, you know, selling, you know, Florida can sell, hey, we went to the championship game in the SEC last year. We're the mighty Gators, you know. Florida State can sell the tradition. Miami can sell Miami, and they're kind of on their way back. You know, so that so gets tough. But, you know, I would say in general, if you're, if you're asking with Smith and Gibson, who are the main it's, – it's the, it's the main – the big three Florida schools to various levels. You know, I don't know that Florida State and Miami are huge factors with Smith. I know the Gators are. I think all three are a factor with Jaden Gibson. So there you have it. Uh, I think wide receiver recruiting is is, is going very well. Uh, there are, as I've said many times, there are hundreds of wide receivers that they rank every season. It's hard to differentiate between some of these guys. Um, you know, it's it's a deal where there's more to be had uh, if you miss some of your top targets, and and I think in state. Obviously, Antonio Williams and Kyle Horton are a big, big start. You know, you don't want in-state receivers getting out of the state and then you're sitting here with no receivers or slow receivers or whatever, uh, and other guys are, are, are tearing it up. So that's the deal there. And then that's um, – I think, you know, ideally, best-case scenario, <laughs> uh, and it's kind of a I, – I don't – I don't think this is going to happen, but if they did, you know, Justin Stepp obviously deserves a, a medal. <laughs> uh, would be Williams, Horton, Smith, and Gibson. Just take four. Uh, because then you, you've got the, the size guy in Gibson. You've got a size and speed guy in Horton and a size and elite speed guy in Smith and then an explosive athlete with great speed and who's just a great all-around player and Antonio Williams, you know, that, that group there, because I, I also think you always want diversity uh, in your receiving core. I, I think where people go wrong and, and I'll use Spurrier Jr. And Brian McClendon as examples of this. Uh, and uh, Spurrier Jr. Coached some great receivers, but you want to go back and, and talk about how many of them initially he wanted to take in recruiting. Very few. <laughs> Uh, Pharaoh Cooper, the last great one, they took him as a, a DB. Tory Gurley would spend a year redshirting as a DB. Alshon Jeffrey was approved for an offer as a defensive end. Uh, they got Bruce Ellington off the basketball team, did not offer him for football right away. Junior did not want to take Ace Sanders. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. You know, 
but the rest of the staff thankfully overcame it. And once he got those players, uh, he was a hell of a hell of a coach. You know, he coached them up. They did well. McClendon didn't coach anybody. I don't think nobody ever got any better. They were dropping passes. Uh, poor Joe Cox had his work cut out for him last year. Couldn't get him any better. Um, and and I, and I think in both situations, I think, you know, when you coach a great one, you're always trying to find that guy sometimes. I think that's a tragic flaw, especially a wide receiver, where, you know, if you use your – you know, if you look at kind of who's good and who's not around the country – you get different types, you know, you get slot guys, you get big guys on the outside that can run. You get If you get a guy that's, you know, Randy Moss, 6'5", and runs 4'3", great. You know, super. Calvin Johnson, great. Um, but I think Junior really fell in love with Sidney Rice. Uh, and then they had to kind of, you know, they got Alshon, and boy, he fell in love with Alshon. And great. But, but look at how many six-foot-four-and-a-half receivers he took that just tanked. I think McClendon fell in love with Debo Samuel. And the problem with falling in love with a Debo Samuel is everybody with Debo's build, you know, most 95% of the people would – all right, let me rephrase this. 99% of the prospects with Debo's build are either one of two things. They're either running backs and they have that speed and they're running backs, six foot two twenty, or they're not that fast. And there's a lot of guys they took that are six foot one, two and a half that, you know, got a little bigger and slower, not universally. You know, there's some other guys that, but, you know, think about that for a second. Uh, you know, uh, it's just uh, – it's mind-boggling. So I, so I think those were those two guys' flaws. Uh, I think if you look at Step, uh, he's recruiting a diverse cross-section of receivers. And in this offense, which is matchup-oriented and all that, I think that's smart, you know, because you, you need some diversity. Now, body type-wise on the roster right now, there's everybody from – Jakari Caldwell and Ortray Smith right on down to Amari and Brown size-wise. Uh, and it's not just size. You know, you, you, your smaller guys need to be able to run, run great routes. You know, they need to be really good size-wise. Uh, I mean, athletically, you know. And your tall guys, if they're not 4-5 in the 40, um, got to make sure they're long striders and – you know, that nobody's going to catch him in the open field, as Alshon Jeffrey and Sidney Rice both were. And uh, Jaden Gibson, to me, is that guy. Uh, C.J. Smith is a guy probably similar to some of the guys they've had at Clemson and Bama that can run and they're tall. Uh, you know, probably – you know, we'll see about the ball skills and all that. But if you're 6'3", 190 pounds, and you run 4'3", and 10 to 800 meter, you know, you, you coach them up if they need to learn to catch. You know, Horton is a 4'4", 5'5", guy at 6'4". Uh, quick athlete, obviously level of competition. You know, he'll probably have to develop a bit. And then Antonio Williams is, you know, big time, you know, around six foot type of player. Um, so – 
good, diverse group, you know, I think in terms of targeting and recruiting. Uh, Steph just wants guys that can play. Uh, I, don't, I don't see him falling into the tragic flaw thing that a lot of receivers do or a lot of receivers coaches do. Uh, and then you're looking around, there's no receivers because you've been trying, you've been chasing a ghost, so to speak. There's one Alshon Jeffrey. There's one Sidney Rice. Uh, there's one Debo Samuel. Yeah. And, and you know, normally you're, you're going to not find that guy again. You need to find the next great one, but you're not going to find that guy again. All right. All the time we have for today. Hope all of you are enjoying your week so far. Halfway through the month of June. Sooner or later, it'll be July 4th, Father's Day this Sunday. Gamecock recruiting is rolling on. Just to be sure to uh, give iHelp Consulting a call, I'm going to throw the number out one more time, 843-372-5713. Call or text Daniel. Get a free consultation, no obligation, uh, and, uh, you know, he can save you some money. And he's a proud sponsor of the iHelp Consulting Inbox. Keep those five-star reviews rolling in on Apple Podcast. Hadn't had one in a while, so if you guys would so kindly do that for me, I'd appreciate it. Hit the subscribe button, too. That doesn't cost you anything. You just uh, you just get a notification whenever a new podcast comes up on Apple. Um, had some trouble with that last week, but uh, it, it's all good now. All right, all the time we have for today. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, I'm J.C. Sherbert. Everyone have a wonderful Tuesday, and we'll holla at you soon.